since I've been here. I was here this summer uh, several times. Last time was when John was sick. And so, uh, well, whatever it takes for me to get to come over here, I'm good with it. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's on vacation and enjoying some time away. He'll be back next week. Uh, but again, I'm glad uh, to be able to be back with you to, uh, to bring the message this morning. So we just watched the video there, New Year, New Year, New, new Year, New You, and it's February. So how are we doing? Uh, we all had those lists of things that we were going to do, and my guess is uh, you're probably a lot like me, and those things that I thought about, and I sat down, I'm beginning to slowly go, hmm, maybe I ought to try something that's not that. Um, so New Year, New You. The chapter that we're going to look at today in the book of Romans is an epic chapter, and it connects very much with this idea of a new year, a new you. What does God want for your life? Uh, this chapter, uh, as, as, as I started today, and then Pastor John will work back through the rest of it, it is a significant chapter for those of us who are Christ followers. Um, I really believe that this morning that um, God has something in His Word um, for each of us to take out and to put into practice, to apply, to make a change, to make an adjustment so that we can be more uh, like Him. And um, we're going to work through the first 16 verses of chapter 8. And um, it's kind of hard to believe, but we are nine weeks away from Easter. I know last week was the first of February. It was the Super Bowl and all that. But we are nine weeks away from Easter. So the question I want, I want to ask for you this morning is, who is in your life uh, that needs to come and sit right next to you on Easter Sunday? Nine weeks. Um, who has God already placed in your life that is disconnected from God and His church, that needs to be sitting right next to you. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody on your street. Maybe it's a family member. Um, my question is, would you begin praying and asking God, God, would you give me the courage to ask this person? Would you um, go ahead of me in the conversation? God, I'm not exactly who, who I should invite. Will you make it very clear to me? And I'm confident that if you will do that, that um, he will be faithful. But nine weeks, and most people will say yes to coming to sit with you um, on Easter Sunday. So be thinking and praying about um, who, who you can invite to bring with you on Easter Sunday. So Romans chapter 8, um, as we walk through this, you remember the story of Zacchaeus uh, in the Bible in the New Testament? Um, my guess is if you've been around church or if you grew up in church, when you hear Zacchaeus, you start singing the song in your head, Zacchaeus was a wee little man uh, for the Lord he wanted to see. He climbed up, you, you know, you know, we could all have a big choir uh, and sing that song. Zacchaeus, I think, is a good picture of what we're going to be talking about this morning. You see, Zacchaeus, he, before he, he came to, to see Jesus, he would be off the charts on the naughty list. He would be off the charts bad. Zacchaeus was the face of the IRS. We're thinking about that these days. If you watch TV much, you can't help but think about it because the commercials are everywhere. It was time to do our taxes. Zacchaeus was the face of the IRS. You know, sometimes we get frustrated by it, but we don't have a person to dislike. It's just kind of like this, this thing Zacchaeus was the face, was the person, he would step up, he would say, open your checkbook, 
He would say, give me, give me, give me. He was on the bad list of sinners. When you looked at sinners, matter of fact, there's a story in the New Testament where um, it says uh, sinners and tax collectors. They kind of put together. And so that's kind of like a, um, an icon of uh, what a sinner would be. And for us, we're like, okay, we know we're not perfect. We know we're not, um, we're not good all the time. We know sometimes we tell lies. Sometimes we do this or we do that. Or, um, but we're not tax collectors. I mean, we are not that far gone, right? Yet, if we've, as we've been walking through the book of Romans, haven't we identified and come to understand that because of our sin, we are separated from God? Not, not the bad sins, but because of all sin. We are separated from God. It, it has marked us. It has marred us. It has changed us. So Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the face of the IRS, this awful sinner, he came to see Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to your house. Jesus goes to his house. And he changes who he is. He changes how he thinks. He changes his, uh, his behaviors. In time, I believe, his whole identity was changed among all of the people that met, knew him before he came to know Christ. Today, as we look at Romans chapter 8, that's what we're going to look about. When we are in Christ, things change. When we are in relationship with God, things change. Or at least they should. So read with me in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemns sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans chapter one, eight, uh, chapter 8, verses 1-4. through four, We find probably a verse you've heard before. That in Christ, there is no condemnation. In verse 1 he says... Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's good news. That's great news. That when we choose to commit our life to follow Him, to make Him our Lord, our boss, our Savior, um, to, to, to say we want to follow after Jesus and become more like Him, there is now no condemnation. Now, most of us are aware of the word condemnation. We probably don't use it a whole lot. I'm just guessing at home today, this afternoon, or maybe yesterday when one of your kids didn't do what they were supposed to do, and you have been condemned. We just don't use it a whole lot. Um, what does it mean? Condemnation is an expression of strong disapproval or ongoing sentencing. Strong disapproval. I'm just guessing if you can think back to your childhood, there was probably a day where you experienced strong disapproval from your mom or your dad. Maybe it was something you did that you thought was going to be a lot of fun, and maybe it was a lot of fun. But when your parents found out, you experienced strong disapproval or an ongoing sentence. 
day in, day out. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. And that's what it's talking about here. Because of our sin, we are guilty. We are guilty. It's an ongoing sentence. But what Paul says here in the book of Romans, he says, there is now, therefore, now no condemnation. You are not guilty over and over and over again for those who are in Christ because Jesus Christ, He was born as a baby, grew up, lived a perfect life. And, and one of the reasons it's, He puts this right here in chapter 8 is Jesus endured the same temptations that we did. You see, Jesus wasn't immune to temptation. Jesus didn't get this uh, like force field around Him. like Because He was the Son of God, there was no way he could possibly, and he, he faced the same temptations you and I face. You remember right after his baptism? The scripture says immediately after he was baptized, he was on this spiritual high. You ever been on a spiritual high, like you've had a great prayer time, you've been to church, maybe God's moving in your life, and then all of a sudden some temptation comes your way and you're like, oh, why did I do that? Jesus experienced a spiritual high, he's He's about to start his ministry, call his disciples. He was baptized. He, he showed us why we should be baptized. He set an example. And he goes out into the desert to pray. And he's fasting. He's, um, having, um, he's abiding with the Father. He's having relationship, um, conversation. He's, and Satan shows up. The devil. And begins tempting him. Jesus could have given in to those temptations. Just like you and I, for pride, for self-sufficiency, we could have given. He could have given into those temptations, but Jesus did not. And in these verses right here, it just says that um, what he condemned was sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and the likeness. As a sin offering, Jesus came and overcame sin. And because of that, if you are in Christ, if you've made a commitment to follow Him, for Him to be the Lord of your life, to forgive you of your sin, there is no condemnation in your life for the sin. Now, it's not going to mean you're going to be perfect. It's not going to mean that you're not going to mess up. It's not going to mean that you're not going to sin. But what it's saying here is, because of Jesus, there is not the ongoing sin. You messed up today. You're guilty. You had a good day. You did what you were supposed to. You showed love to your neighbor. You're not guilty. You told a lie. You're guilty. Jesus says, no. In Christ, there is no condemnation. In Hebrews chapter 2 um, says this. The author of Hebrews goes on to reinforce who Jesus was. He says, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus came, lived a perfect life so that He could overcome and destroy the devil. There is no condemnation. Christ took the same fallen nature 
And he remained sinless because he wanted to overcome the proclivity or the ongoing um, uh, pull for us to sin. There is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. That is great news. Because it's easy for us to feel condemned for the things we do, things we say. And we, we do it all the time, don't we? we? We show up at church and we go, okay, um, wow, I wish I could be like him. Or I wish I could pray like her. But I'm better than them. We find ourselves in this pecking order and we're trying to figure out where we fit based on our actions, and our behavior, and our attitude. We do this. And Jesus says, or in, in, Paul says, there is no condemnation in relationship with God. We are not guilty. We're not better. We're all on equal ground because of what Jesus did. And we don't need to beat ourselves up because of the things that we do that pull us away from God. So how do we do this? How do, how do we live a life of uh, freedom? Because that's what Jesus has come. He's come to give us freedom and victory. We're not condemned by the sin. So how do we do it? Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mind uh, set of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to, to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. He's talking a lot about our mindset and the things that we uh, meditate on, the things that we think about. The mind is powerful. And as believers, we've got to constantly be changing in our mind and identifying our mind with the things of God. You see, we don't read our Bible every morning. We don't read our Bible each day so that we can check it off a list and feel good about it. We, we spend time in the Scriptures. We spend time in prayer. We spend time dwelling upon the things of God so that we can prepare our mind and so that our mind is changed according to His will. You see, most of us who follow after Jesus, we don't, we don't just say, you know what, God, I, I want to be like worthless. I want to be useless. For the kingdom of God. No, none of us want to do that. But sometimes we get scared when we begin to reflect and say, God, I want you to use me to do something significant in the kingdom of God. Um, we're like, oh, Honda, not, I don't want to go that far. Because when we think of significant work in the kingdom of God, what do we think about? Going to Africa or something like that. And what God is saying is, I have something for you in the kingdom of God to do. For you to bear fruit, and you have to adjust your mind to the things of God. You've got to constantly be adjusting your mind to the things that are a part of the kingdom of God. I love the way Paul writes this in the book of 1 Peter. Did I say Paul? Uh, what Peter wrote in the book of 1 Peter chapter um, 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore, with your minds, be ready for action. 
Peter's telling the, um, the, the early Christians, the early Christians that, that Peter was writing to were being persecuted. They were being scattered across um, all, of, all of the known world at the time because they were fleeing for their lives. Uh, they, they were under uh, uh, being persecuted, put to death, and so they were scattering for their lives. And Peter's reminding them, wherever God's sending you, and all the things you do, prepare your minds for action. Because you never know. You never know what God has next for you. You know, sometimes I don't think we prepare our minds for action. A lot of times we prepare our minds to do just enough. When... Uh, uh, in churches I've served in the past, we we would do like Tuesday night visitation. I don't know, maybe you remember that as a kid. We'd go out to uh, homes and invite people that have visited the church, invite them back. And, you know, doing things for God sometimes is really scary. I mean, it, it really is. And, you know, even though I'm a pastor, you know, I, I remember a lot of nights I'd get out of the car and I would pray, dear God, Please don't let them be home. I didn't, I didn't want to have the conversation because of the unknown. And if we're honest, when it comes to serving God and being um, engaged in His kingdom work, I think we can identify with something like that. God, I have the best of intentions, but I'm scared. And we have to change our mind. He, and God wants to give us a new mind. And He's talking about that here. That we have to change our mind. Because He's made us into a new, new creature. There is no condemnation. Because there is no condemnation. You are free. You have victory. Now live in that freedom. And go expand the kingdom. Engage in kingdom work. Become the person that God wants you to be. I came across this statement this week. It said this. People's decisions about how they intend to live determines how they think about things. So the things we intend to do, that has an effect on us. But people don't think themselves into the way they act. So we, just because we think it doesn't mean we're going to do it. But people act themselves in the way they think. What that means is a lot of times the things we think about, the things we dwell upon, the things we uh, just have our mind, you know what I'm talking about when your mind's just spinning on this thing? We begin to act in that direction. If, if you think negative thoughts about somebody, how do you feel about them? How do you engage with them? So I want to take this just a, a, a tad more personal and not for the service for the kingdom of God like go to Africa or go here or do that, but what would happen if each one of us, for a week, would just dwell upon Galatians chapter 5, where Paul's writing about the fruits of the Spirit. And we just really set our mind to, to, to engage in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, I'm not talking about going and knocking on all the doors up and down your, your street. I'm talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what I'm just guessing? If we would dwell upon those and if we would set our minds on bearing the fruits of the Spirit, that people around you would wonder, what got into you? Patience? Usually you explode when that happens. 
self-control, peace, kindness. You see, bearing fruit is not all about going to Africa. Bearing fruit is letting the fruit of Spirit uh, come in and out of you in a way that people look and go, hmm, I see Jesus here. We have to change our minds. We have to dwell upon things of God if we're going to engage in the work and the things that He has for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, dear brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And in verse 2, he talks about how we have to change our mind. We have to set our mind on things above. If we are going to grow in our relationship with God, we have to change our mind. We have to have a mindset that comes from God. And the Holy Spirit, in these verses, we talk about how He wants to give us this mind of Christ. Verses 9-11. through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, uh, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who is raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the Spirit who lives in you. Sometimes when you're reading through the book of Romans, um, everything can begin to blend together. The Spirit, the life. and, and What he's saying here is... Um, in Christ, we have a new nature. Not only do we have a new mind, but we have a completely new nature. In here, there's a big contrast. The contrast is sin equals death. The Spirit leads to life. In here, it talks about how uh, we are uh, enemies of God. How we are hostile towards God. But in Christ, He gives life. He gives victory. And the Spirit is constantly working. And apart from Christ, we are in the flesh. And in the Spirit, we have life. We see this in other verses in the New Testament where it says, um, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, Satan wants to see our lives destroyed. He truly does. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And it's not just talking about the promise of heaven one day. In Christ, we have a new nature. We have life. Apart from Christ, we have death. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, um, which is an incredible chapter where the, Jesus is talking about uh, the humanity of Christ and how uh, we should have the same attitude of Jesus Christ. In verse 12, right after those verses, he says, Therefore, my friends, just if you, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even now... Uh, in my more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is encouraging the, the Christians in Philippi that they need to continue to day in and day out. Work out your salvation. You see, it's not just a one-time experience. It's an ongoing part of our life in Christ. He gives us a new nature. You know, sometimes it's tough. It's tough to always live in the Spirit. It's tough to always 
honor God in all the things we do, all the things we say, all the things we, we react, uh, how we react. It's tough to always live in the Spirit. Sometimes we read in the Bible the stories and we go, wow, how did they decide to do that? Think about Lot with Abraham. If you, if you know the story, Abraham lived, or Lot lived with Abraham, and uh, they came a point where their, uh, their families were just competing, and there was just chaos all over the place. So they decided to split ways, and, and Abraham gave uh, Lot the choice, and Lot looks out and says, I see green land. This looks like it is a great life ahead. And Lot chooses the land next to Sodom. And we go, why would you choose the land next to Sodom? That's going to lead to destruction. That's, that's going to lead to bad things for your family. But he chose the green land. We do that sometimes, don't we? We look and go, ah, this is the easy life. This is the good life. And we don't look at the uh, potential pitfalls or dangers spiritually. We, we pursue after um, what the easy life looks like. Lot chose the land next to Sodom. What about Esau? Esau came in from hunting. He was hungry. And he smelt the soup. And he exchanged his birthright, the blessing, for a bowl of soup. Esau, how could you do that? What were you thinking? Everybody knows that's a bad idea. But he was hungry. He had an immediate need that he wanted filled. And so he gave up his birthright, the blessing. Don't we do that sometimes? Don't we sometimes get caught up in the moment? And we do something we don't want to do, and we don't do the thing we want to do like we talked about a few weeks ago? Because we're caught up in the moment and this, this whole idea of, of changing our minds so we can live um, in the spirit. What about Jonah going to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh? Last weekend, we had a, uh, a big youth event. And so Saturday night, I preached on uh, the story of Jonah out of chapter, Jonah chapter 1. And a lot of times, we look at Jonah, and when you think about the story of Jonah, what do you think about? I, I know what I think about. I think about him running in the opposite direction. I think him moving away from what God called him to do. Those are the things that come to my mind. And you know what the truth is? Unfortunately, I can identify with Jonah. There are days when um, I run away from the things that God's put in front of me. And I'm just guessing I'm not alone on that. Jonah ran away from what God called him to do. The bottom of the ship, the ship was going crazy. They threw him overboard and it was in the belly of the whale or the fish, or whatever it was. It was there at the bottom of the sea that God spared his life. And what it says was, in my distress, I called out to the Lord and he heard my cry. Jonah's repentance from running. God brought a revival to Nineveh. You see, when we think about this contrast of um, living according to the flesh and according to the Spirit, God wants us to dwell every day in relationship with Him and letting the Spirit bear fruit in our life. Verses 12 through 16 
that we've talked about, there is no condemnation, that he wants to give us a new mind, a new nature. And in verses 12 through 16, he, we learn that he wants to give us a new identity. Listen uh, to what Paul writes. He says, so then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you will be put, you will put to death the deeds of the body, you, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's Son. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. In Christ, we have a new identity. It's not just a new mindset. It's not just a new nature. But we have a whole new identity that gives us an incredible future. In Christ, there is no condemnation. But we become adopted as children of God. We have a brand new identity. In the book of John, chapter 15, Jesus is talking to His disciples. And... Um, and they're in a vineyard. And Jesus looks at His disciples and He says, if you abide in Me, you will bear much fruit. He talks about how when we're, the branches are cut off from the vine and they're laying on the ground and they're separated, there's no nutrients, there's no life, they die, they wither, they're going to be burned up. But if we remain in Him, if we abide day in and day out, we abide with God, that the Holy Spirit in our life will bear much fruit. And isn't that, as a follower of Christ, what we want? Don't we want God to come into our life and bear fruit? Sometimes it's scary to think about. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand that in Christ that He's given us a new nature. Sometimes as we think, and because we think about all the things that we've done, well, God can never love me, or God can never use me, or God can never fill in the blank because of, and we've already looked and studied in the book of Romans, and he says, those, all of those things are gone in Christ. I've given you a new nature. I've given you a new identity. You can bear much fruit. And I can't stand up here this morning and say what that's going to look like for you. God has something specifically and individually for every single one of us. But I guarantee you, when you begin bearing fruit in your life, it will change what happens at home. It will change the way you parent. It will change the way you interact at work. It will change the kind of neighbor you are. It will change the kind of brother you are. It will change the kind of uh, a grown adult child with your mom and dad. It begins to change everything when we begin bearing fruit. And the great thing is, in the kingdom of God, we don't start looking and go, wow, look at all the fruit that I've borne. Look at all the things that I've done. God begins. Changing all of that. Changing our mind and He's making us into His image. In Christ, there is no condemnation. 
But there is life, there is freedom, and there is victory. When I think of the story of Jonah, I always go, and what I always think about is him running. And it wasn't until last week when I was preparing that this stuck out at me. Do you know what's so much more important than the story than, than Jonah running? It's what happens in Jonah 1.1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to Nineveh and preach against their evilness and their wickedness. Jonah was called. That's the most important thing we find in Jonah chapter 1. It wasn't that Jonah disobeyed, although that we, we run there because we can identify with it. The most important thing is Jonah was called. And when you are in Christ, you are called. You are called to bear fruit. You don't have to live under a weight. You don't have to wonder, am I going to experience salvation? Does God love me? Because Satan wants to run that in your mind over and over and over again. All the reasons why you've disappointed God. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, In Christ, there is now no condemnation. And when there is no condemnation, as, as followers of Christ, He will change our mind if we will dwell upon the things of God. He gives us a new nature. He changes our identity. And He calls us to bear fruit in relationship with the Spirit. This morning, I don't know if you come in here today and, and you're still apart from God. You've, you've never had a time in your life when when, when you've confessed your sins to God, ask Him to forgive you so that you can experience freedom. If that's you this morning, Romans 8.1 gives us the free gift of salvation if we will choose. Hard to understand and hard to figure out. Salvation with you. For whatever reason, maybe our hearts are somewhere else. Maybe we've started... Something happened and, and you, you struggle with, with things. I, I understand those. I, I, I seriously do. And that's where in relationship, in a Bible life group, um, in conversation with Pastor John, with other believers, we can walk through those things so that we don't have to live underneath the condemnation um, of, of the present or of sin or the lies that Satan wants us to believe. So in just a second, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a last song this morning. And I want you to sing this just as a prayer. I don't know what God's speaking to you. Maybe he, this week He's been speaking to you about things. This, uh, this song is a great prayer. And I just want you to sing this as a song of worship. As, as we choose to give our, our hearts to God, even when it's scary, even when it means we're vulnerable, even when maybe life doesn't make sense, or maybe we're excited about stepping out, saying, God, I, I want to step out and I want to follow you. This song is just a prayer that says, God, here's my heart. Um, I want to give it all to you, and, and I trust you. Will you lead me? Let's pray.